Man, and thank you. I just wanted to, before we even dive into the word today, just take a moment to thank so many of you these last couple weeks who have reached out to our family and cared for us. Uh, If you haven't been here for a while, my dad, uh, who passed away suddenly, unexpectedly, just about two and a half weeks ago, 67 years old, and um, it's just kind of chaos, just in an instant, right? And so, so many of you uh, reached out. I got cards and flowers, and a bunch of you came to his service and helped out, and It's just been amazing. Even Pastor Randy jumping in last week, Pastor Buzz the week before that. It's been amazing to see, um, someone told me yesterday, this is why we have a church. This is why we need each other. This community of faith is what the church is all about. And we've just had a long season in life where it felt like the community part of church has been missing from church. We've had the TV part of church, right? But not the community part of church. But the community part of church is church, right? Church means a gathered group of people. And so... Thank you for being the church for my family, and we hope that Three Crosses is the church for your family when you're in a time of need as well. Well, We are closing our series uh, called The Revival That Almost Happened. So if you're new with us, you can jump back and listen to all the messages in this series online. Today we're jumping to the very end of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13. And I'm gonna read this passage for you. This is uh, just verses 23 through 25. And as I read this passage, I believe you will get a glimpse of what I mean when I say that the revival almost happened before everything crashed and burned. And so this is the word of the Lord, Nehemiah 13, 23 through 25. Nehemiah is speaking. As moreover, In those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. It's the crash and burn part. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. This is the tone of Nehemiah 13 as we see him getting increasingly frustrated that all the work he and Ezra and Zerubbabel worked so hard to do is unraveling before their very eyes. I started the series with a recommendation to watch Tim Mackey's four-hour lecture on the Bible Project. Did anybody start that? Anyone start the four-hour Tim Mackey lecture? You got time. You got their whole life ahead of you, right? The life is short. You got to watch it. It's amazing. But if not, you listen to the series. We try to hit the highlights here. I'm going to end this series with another recommendation that since none of you seem to have listened to Tim Mackey's thing, you might be more likely to listen to this one. This is on HBO Max. It's a mini-series called Chernobyl. And it's based on the 1986 nuclear disaster at the Chernobyl power plant in Russia. Have any of you seen that series? Yeah, amazing, right? I think the Tim Mackey lecture is better. But the Chernobyl miniseries, and you could just do what I did, get a one-week free pass to HBO Max, then cancel it after you binge-watch it, right? The Chernobyl documentary is very similar to Ezra Nehemiah in the sense that it walks through a season where a lot of men, and I'd say and women, but I don't think there were any bad women in the Chernobyl documentaries. All the women were heroes, right, or heroines. All all these men worked so hard to do what they thought was best, 
And yet over and over and over again, all their decisions led to increasing chaos, increasing disaster, and everything they worked so hard and devoted their lives to literally fell apart right before their eyes. And this is the story of Ezra, Nehemiah. And it reminds us, whether you're watching Chernobyl or you're watching, reading the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, reminds us that one of the true things about life in this world is that sometimes, no matter how hard we try to hold everything together, everything falls apart. Now, you didn't raise your hand for my Tim Mackey thing, but raise your hand for this question if you can answer this question with a yes. Raise your hand if you've ever had a season in your life, or maybe you're going through a season right now, where you feel like you're working so hard just to keep things going, but no matter how hard you work, everything you do just falls apart right in front of your eyes. Have you ever had a season like that? <laughs> okay, this is, the Tim Mackey thing is way better than that season, right? You should watch the Tim Mackey lecture. <sighs> and part of it's the curse. Right? The curse says everything your hand is, puts, you put your hand to do is gonna war against you. Now, but part of this, you know, you go through a season and there's high stress, there's high stakes. You're trying to hold your family together. You're trying to hold your team at work together. You're trying to keep your studies together at school. You're trying to keep your grades up, whatever it is, right? It's, it's increasingly difficult because the work is warring against you and you get stressed out. Sometimes in seasons like that, we kind of fly off the handle like Nehemiah. Maybe you've made terrible decisions in seasons like that and that's added to the disaster. Right? Other times we walk through seasons of real hardship and we're trying to do what seems best to us but we're so stressed out we make decisions along the way that are a little bit questionable when we look back at the seasons and we are embarrassed by the things that we've said in a moment of outburst. We've been embarrassed at the ways that we've talked to our children when our emotions got the best of us. We get embarrassed about the way that we've handled ourselves at work in a season where it felt like we were working so hard but no one was seeing our efforts and everything is falling apart around us. And so one of the things I wanna do today is normalize Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a hero of the faith in a lot of ways. Nehemiah was a human being in every way and a lot of the things that he did, maybe you've never pulled someone's hair out Maybe you've never called down curses on someone. Maybe you've never beat up some of the men, right? Maybe you have. But chances are, if you've ever been in a really stressful season and you've watched your life work start to crumble around you or the things you were so passionate about, your kids start to rebel against you, you've been in a season where no matter how hard you've worked, nothing seems to work. Your efforts are just not paying off. You know, this is a theme of Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, kind of recap the series for us. We've seen this in the three major movements of the book. We've got three movements from, the, from Babylon back to Jerusalem, led by three different leaders, but the themes are the same. Right? It starts with Zerubbabel, who's commissioned to go and rebuild the heart, the rhythms of worship for God's people, and everyone's so excited that the temple's coming back and that worship's coming back, but along the way, they start making some questionable decisions. Outsiders come and try to join the work. Non-believers come and say, hey, we're drawn to your God. And they say, no, this is just for us and our people. And they become exclusive and the work begins to crumble. A crack begins to emerge in the foundation of the work that God is laying. And we see Ezra. And Ezra is like the hope of Israel. He is this amazing man who's going to come and bring forth this season of revival. He's gonna restore biblical faithfulness. He's going to help people find purity around the scriptures again. And we're so excited to see Ezra work. 
but then they start interpreting the scriptures in a way that starts bringing harm to people. They're kicking out the, the, these, these single moms. They're sending these children back home with no father, and you're wondering, I feel like they're using the scriptures as a weapon. Are they really doing the right thing here? And revival doesn't get off the ground. And then Pastor Buzz led us through the, the movement with Nehemiah. The whole book of Nehemiah is devoted to Nehemiah's work. I'm gonna rebuild this city, this kingdom with walls around it. We're gonna be protected from our enemies. It's gonna work this time. And he works so hard and the opposition is so strong. But you see seven waves in Nehemiah of hard work and seven waves of opposition that comes his way. But it keeps powering through, keeps powering through, keeps powering through. At one point, he's working uh, with a sword in one hand and a shovel in the other, right? Because he's fighting off the enemies as he's trying to do God's work. And he puts his whole life on the line. So like Pastor Buzz told us, he becomes this one-hit wonder. It seems like his work doesn't last. But the wall gets completed. After Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah have done their work, they hold a revival service that Pastor Randy walked us through last week, and it's the closest thing we see to revival in Ezra and Nehemiah. The word is opened. The people confess their sins. They worship the Lord. They make a covenant, an oath with God. They call down curses on themselves if they ever stray from God's commands. And we're left thinking, maybe it's gonna work this time. Maybe this is the revival after all. And like Randy said, if it would have ended there, we would have been encouraged. But it doesn't end in Nehemiah chapter nine and 10 and 11. It ends in Nehemiah chapter 13, where Nehemiah is calling down curses, pulling out hair, beating up men, and crying out to God, saying, remember me with favor. (sighs) This didn't work. All of the work that we just did for 40 years is crumpling around us. So today, maybe you're in a season right now where you're working hard, you're pouring out your life and nothing's working. We're we're gonna go Chernobyl mini-series on this thing and we're gonna learn what lessons we can see from watching a complete nuclear meltdown in Nehemiah chapter 13. If you wanna take notes today, the first thing that we see in the text is that Nehemiah returns home and he sees that everything they've tried to build is falling apart. After the the revival service that Pastor Randy talked about, uh, Nehemiah headed back to Babylon, like, yes, my work is done. Everything is great, right? Jerusalem's gonna be amazing. And then he comes back to Jerusalem and he finds that everything is not amazing, right? You notice on this, it says he returns home and sees everything they've tried to build falling apart. Not just what he's tried to build, what everyone has tried to build. Right, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, all of their work is crumbling around him when he returns home in Nehemiah chapter 13. Right, the temple, that was such a, an amazing moment to lay the foundations under Zerubbabel, restoring the heart of worship. Nehemiah comes back and he learns that the heart of worship in the temple has been disrupted. There's a pagan man who's subletting the heart of the temple as his living space, right? He's like squatting, paying money to live in God's house. And Nehemiah's like, this is not the restoration of the heart of worship that we imagined, and he has to deal with that. 
Ezra restored biblical faithfulness. Nehemiah comes back and finds that there's no biblical faithfulness. All these people who've divorced all of their pagan wives who worship pagan gods, now they're back in new relationships with new women who worship these false gods. And it's like all of the work that Nehemiah did to kick these women out of the, or Ezra did to kick these women out of the country, now new folks have swarmed in and the people are in these uh, polytheistic relationships again and, and Nehemiah has to deal with that. They're working on the Sabbath. They're desecrating the Ten Commandments, and Nehemiah has to deal with that. And so Zerubbabel's work is falling apart. Ezra's work is falling apart. And so even Nehemiah's work, building a wall around the city to protect them from invaders, is obviously not working because all of these people are coming into God's city and bringing impurity to God's people. We see in chapter 13 that Nehemiah goes and tries to lock the city gates. Like, yes, my wall will work. And then the people just come and sit outside the wall and wait for the gates to open again. Then they sneak back in again and start selling the stuff in God's city again. Nothing is working that the people tried to do. And Nehemiah 13, 6, I think is my favorite verse at a sarcastic level. My favorite verse in the two books, Ezra and Nehemiah, where Nehemiah's first response to all of this chaos is he says, while all this was happening, I was not in Jerusalem. I wasn't in town when all this stuff happened. I left, the whole thing fell apart, right? You've had this experience before, right? You come back to work and your whole team is a mess and inventory's everywhere and your bosses are mad. You're like, listen, I wasn't here, right? When I'm here, I'm the glue, right? Any of you feel like the glue in your, in your life, right? I hold everything together, but when I leave, it falls apart, right? You leave your kids at home alone for five minutes. You come back, it's on fire, and the cat's running in circles in the backyard, right? What happened? I just left for a minute, right? And then your wife comes home. What did you do? You were watching the kids for five minutes. You're like, I just ran to the store. It, I wasn't home when it happened. When all this was happening, I was not in Jerusalem, <laughs> Like I said, I want want us to experience the the humanity of Nehemiah. Because all of us have had moments or seasons in our lives where we feel like we're the glue that's holding everything together. And we know that if we just step out of this thing, it's gonna fall apart all around us. Which is hard, right? Because none of us want to lead change in the world that requires our presence for it to abide. None of us want to be the person who's holding our families together. We, we want our kids to leave our homes and be okay as adults without us controlling them all the time. We, we want them to survive independent of us. None of us want to have that family where we pass away and then our family goes into shambles because we were the only glue holding our whole family together. But we can be in seasons where everything's so hard that it feels like it only works when I hold it all together. Nehemiah leaves and everything falls apart. All falls apart. So what do we do? (laughs) What do we learn? If this is the Chernobyl documentary, what's the moral of the story here? Here's the first lesson I I see as I look at Nehemiah trying so hard to change the world, and we'll put this on the screen. I I think a moral of the story is that you can try your hardest to make people do the right things, but without real heart change, nothing will last. You can try your hardest to make your kids good people, but unless God affects their hearts, it's it's just not going to work. Or you could try your hardest to lead well at work, but unless the people's hearts are with you or with the mission of the organization, it's just not gonna work. You could try your hardest to get your kid to do their homework, 
But unless their hearts start becoming people who want to do their homework, it's only gonna work when you're helicoptering over them. True and lasting change requires heart transformation. You might ask if you're a Bible person, where do you get this? Where is this in Nehemiah 13? It's not in Nehemiah 13. In fact, there's no heart transformation that we see in Nehemiah 13. Where this is from is all of the prophets that we've been talking about throughout this series who prophesied what real and lasting revival would look like when it got there. Where this comes from Jeremiah who predicts this season after the exile when God would bring his kingdom. And in Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Right, Ezekiel 36 says the same thing. God says, I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. All, all of Ezra and Nehemiah is, is this almost happening, the revival that's predicted by Jeremiah and Ezekiel and these different prophets before the exile. But the one big thing that doesn't happen is the heart of the people does not transform. The people never change from the inside out. Right? They can build a temple, they can restore Torah, they can make covenants, they can promise God they'll do better next time, they can rebuild a city, they can put up walls to keep out their enemies. All of these external things can happen, all of these boundaries, all of these plans, all of these priorities, all of this stuff and promises can be made. But without God transforming the heart of the individuals, revival will never happen. You know, on one hand, this is discouraging, right? Because what I'm telling you is like, no matter how hard you work to be a good parent, you can't guarantee your kids are gonna follow Jesus, right? That's, that's discouraging, because you wanna just work hard and see them be Christians forever. But on the other hand, if you've been at this work for a long time, you know this is actually encouraging news, because if it was up to you, you'd probably mess up your kids more than you'd help your kids, right? That's how all of us are. But, but if God gets a hold of your children's hearts, he can transform them from the inside out. If God grabs a hold of the hearts of the people at work, the people in your community, the people in your family, the people in this circumstance that you feel like you're holding everything together, if only God would show up, he could change everything, even in an instant. You know, it's important for us to do our work to steward what God has placed in our hands. But I think one of the lessons we need to learn as we read through these books is that the real work that needs to happen in terms of revival at any level is heart transformation that only the Lord can bring. This means that if you're working hard in whatever sector you're working hard to hold everything together, make sure you're also working hard in prayer. Make sure that before you're going and yelling at your kids, you're praying for your kids, right? Or maybe alongside you're yelling, you're praying at the same time, right? Make sure that as much time as it takes to do the hard work to keep everything together, you're doing the hard work of bringing it before the Lord because all your hard work will be in vain unless the Lord builds the house, right? (laughs) Unless the Lord builds the wall, Nehemiah's labors are in vain. Unless the Lord builds the temple, Zerubbabel's work is in vain. Unless the Lord restores the heart of biblical purity, Ezra's work is in vain. And what we see in Nehemiah 13 is that God has not yet shown up in his spirit to transform the people's hard hearts into hearts of flesh. Now this is why they keep running back to their idolatry. This is why they keep running back to their old ways because their hearts have not yet been transformed. And so Nehemiah, 
finds himself in the difficult situation that I wrote in my notes where he's herding cats. You ever heard that phrase before? Feels like Nehemiah is herding cats now, right? Because all these people just want to rebel against the Lord, and Nehemiah feels like it's his job in life to keep people on track, right? This is like parenting. And everyone's going in their own directions hard-heartedly, and he's just trying to get them back on the straight and narrow again. And so Nehemiah has to run through all of this chaos in Jerusalem and try to fix it. And so he sees this guy, Tobiah, is living in the temple. And he's like, oh my goodness. He wants to pull his own hair out before he pulls Tobiah's hair out. And he goes to Tobiah and he has to deal with it. It says in in verses eight and nine, he says, I was greatly displeased. I threw all all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Then I ordered the rooms be purified. I had the articles of the house of God restored to them along with the grain offerings and frankincense. Like, okay, dealt with that one. This guy's evicted. The room has been COVID sanitized, right? Now we can worship in this place again. What's next, right? What's next? All right, now I gotta deal with all these people who are working on the Sabbath, right? So he rebukes them. They do it anyway. Then he kicks out the vendors. He locks the gate. Then they sit by the gates. Then he puts guards on the gates, right? It's like snipers, like, keep these people out. We're not gonna work on the Sabbath. It's like, okay, good, it's working, Nehemiah. Then he's like, all right, where are these guys who are marrying all these pagan women? I thought we dealt with this with Ezra. I thought we sent all those women and children away. And apparently they hadn't. So this is when Nehemiah does the famous thing. And in verse 25, he rebukes them and calls down curses on them. He beats some of them. And he pulls out their hair, right? He's herding cats, and he's also, looks like he's having a bit of an emotional breakdown. (laughs) We can be real about the fact that sometimes life gets so stressful it feels like we're having an emotional breakdown, right? We real about sometimes that, that life gets so hard that it feels like all the work we're doing to keep everything together just makes us so irritated that we start saying things we don't want to say, doing things we don't want to do, dealing with issues in ways that don't feel very Christian and we make ourselves feel icky but we don't know what to do and we're just trying to do our best to hold everything together but everything around us is falling apart. We can be real that that's real, right? And I read at Nehemiah 13 and at first I laugh Then I feel sorry for him, and then I just feel for him. Because the book, like Pastor Randy said, doesn't end with revival. The book ends with Nehemiah coming before the Lord and saying, God, I did my best. I just pray that you do something with this mess that I'm in the middle of. And he says this twice. He says it in in verse 14. He says, remember me for this, O my God. Do not blot out my deeds of loving devotion for the house of my God and for its services. God, all all of these people are doing crazy stuff and I'm doing my best. Just please don't lump me in with them. I'm trying to honor you here. He says it again in verse 31, which is uh, the last words of the book of Nehemiah are these, remember me with favor, my God. Ezra Nehemiah ends with a man who is so exhausted from trying to do God's work that he kind of dies in chaos almost. He doesn't die, but dies in chaos almost, saying, God, just please don't forget me (laughs) when I enter into your promised land because I did everything I could and nothing worked. It's a story of, of three men and a whole community using all of their energy to try to do God's work. And they just end up in chaos, 
exhausted, and just done. Praying that God remembers them in some way for some good they did along the way. Maybe you've had a season like that. Maybe you're having a season like that. The three words that I wrote down for you as I studied this text were, are you exhausted? You don't have to raise your hands on this one, but you're tired, you're worn out, sick of all this, done being the glue for your family, done being the only person holding your whole company together. You just, <laughs> you just want to go hide and say, God, I tried my best, I'm done. <laughs> you take it from here, right? It stinks. It stinks to be in a season where it feels like you've poured out everything and the results that you were hoping for aren't materializing. This is the end of Nehemiah. The revival that almost happened. It's interesting, Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah starts with this thing called the Edict of Cyrus, uh, which we talked about in week one of the series, was this, this messianic hope, right? Tim Mackey in his lecture calls it the messianic packet of hope, where we see that King Cyrus is freeing the people from Babylon and saying, return to the promised land, build your city, and we all feel like this is it, revival's coming, Messiah's coming, everything's going to be amazing. But then it's not. Amazing. It's interesting, the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible in Jesus' day ended with the book of Chronicles. And at the last chapter, you can read that this week, the last chapter of the book of Chronicles re kind of states the edict of Cyrus again. It says, hey, there was this king named Cyrus in Persia and he freed the people and sent them back to go and rebuild their cities. And so the Old Testament kind of doesn't end with Nehemiah like this. The Old Testament ends with this new cliffhanger of, okay, Zerubbabel couldn't make it happen. Ezra couldn't make it happen. (laughs) Nehemiah couldn't make it happen. So I guess we're still waiting for the guy who's gonna come and lead true and lasting heart change in the lives of the people of God. And then we have 400 years of silence. And then a fourth person comes, right? Not Zerubbabel, not Ezra, not Nehemiah, a fourth person person comes, his name is Jesus, and he comes with the same goals. He wants to restore a heart of worship in God's people. He says, I'm I'm seeking worshipers. He's gonna restore purity among God's people. He says, I'm gonna teach you how to honor the spirit of the law. He says, I'm gonna replace your hearts of stone with a heart of flesh. I'm gonna create a new covenant with you. He, He creates a new kingdom for God's people. He says, I'm gonna build a city without walls, a city for all nations, a city of worshipers that expands throughout the entire globe. And, and this was a leader that everyone thought was like a Nehemiah that lived and then died and it was over. But it wasn't over. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. He raises himself from the dead. He walks out of the tomb and starts ushering new life. His spirit comes and starts transforming people. Cities are transformed. Pastor Daniel told us a lot of these stories this morning. These things are still happening today that the spirit of God comes and brings true and lasting revival as the prophecies of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all of these prophets of old are coming true that the hearts of, of stone are being replaced with hearts of flesh. That the dry bones are coming back to life again, and Jesus comes and brings real and true and lasting revival. 
And if you're a Christian, you know that in your own life, all of the efforts that you did to try to please God, all of the efforts you tried to do to clean up your own life, all the efforts that you had in your life to get better on your own, they didn't work. Nothing worked, no program worked, nothing worked until Jesus showed up. And he changed your heart. And after he changed your heart, he started to change your life. I think there's a bit of the story that heart change needs to happen. We talked about this. But I think the real moral of Ezra and Nehemiah, the true message of these books, is that the secret of true and lasting success begins with Jesus Christ. Zerubbabel can't do it. Ezra can't do it. Nehemiah can't do it. Only Jesus Christ can transform you. Only Jesus can transform your family, your workplace, any sector of this world. Only Jesus can transform the Middle East. Only Jesus can transform your household. Only Jesus can do the real work that starts with heart transformation. And it ends with the world being transformed into his kingdom. All right, it begs the question for you as we close the series, where, where are you with Jesus? Are you someone who's exhausted because you've been trying to please God on your own and you're at the end of your rope saying, God, I'm I'm trying my hardest, right? You're white knuckling life, just holding on to the steering wheel, trying to make it all work. And God is saying, why don't you let go? Why don't you let me transform your heart? Maybe that's your next step today, right? Let go of the reins of your own life and let Jesus in for the first time. Maybe you need to apply the same moral of the story to your family, to your workplace, right? What's the sector in life that you are so exhausted trying to bring heart change on your own, and you need to wrestle with the Lord a little bit about what does it mean to give you the reins of this area. I remember a season in my own life where I was exhausted, tired, it was a few years back, I'd been in ministry for 15 years and just thinking, okay, I need to figure out a, how to make the most of this next season, because the way that I'm living isn't working, and so I actually went and met with a spiritual director, someone to kind of bounce things off of, a Christian guy, and and I let him know kind of how I'd been feeling. And, and I said, Danny, let me just reflect back to you. It sounds like you're really passionate about making your life matter. I'm like, absolutely. He's like, it seems like you're really concerned with, with leveraging this season in front of you. I'm like, yes. He said, it sounds like you wanna do whatever work it takes to make life flourish for you and your family in the season to come. I said, okay, this guy gets me. Yeah, give it to me, right? He said, let me just put it out there. Would you ever consider taking your hands off for a little bit and seeing what happens if you let Jesus take charge of your life? He said it nicer because he's a spiritual director. <laughs> he said something like this. He said, what if you spent a season letting Jesus hold everything together and you cling to him? All right, this is John chapter 15. Have you ever read John chapter 15? He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. And if you abide in me and I I will abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So abide in my love, right? You want to restore a heart of worship? Abide in my love. You want biblical purity in your life? Why don't you abide in my words and let my words abide in you? You want to do my work? You want to build a kingdom without walls in this world? Why Why don't you love each other? This is John 15. Jesus says, then you will bear much fruit, fruit that will last. If you're tired, (laughs) maybe you need to wrestle with that question this week. What would it look like for you to to let Jesus hold your family together? To let Jesus raise your children? And to let Jesus manage your team at work? To let Jesus manage your finances? And you just hold on to Jesus and let him hold everything else together? That's a scary proposition. 
but it's the only one that works. I want to close this series by, by reading a passage of scripture over you. You may have heard this before. This is a, a, a paraphrase of the scriptures called The Message that was written by Eugene Peterson. So if you want to find this later, you just Google The Message. And this is Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 from The Message. Jesus says, are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. This is the promise of Jesus as he invites us into a life of discipleship. I wanna pray for you, pray for us. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come out. They, they wrote a song to close our series and I, I want us to sit in this song and experience it. It's fun, it's lively, and it hits the core message of what this book is all about. Not Ezra, not Nehemiah, not Zerubbabel, but Jesus and building a life on him that will last forever. So let me pray for us, and then we'll sing together. Father, I pray for anyone in this room who's tired, exhausted, trying to live life their own way. Maybe they've never turned to you. I pray for those folks that they would turn to you in this moment. Say, Jesus, take it. Take my plans. (laughs) Take my finances. Take my family. Take my work, take it all. It's all yours. Do whatever you want with it. I just need you. Let them make that great exchange of their life for his. Let them find forgiveness in the cross of Jesus. Let them find new life in the resurrection of Jesus. Let them find a new mission in the ascension and power in the coming of the Spirit. Let them learn how to walk with you and have a season and maybe just watch how you do it. We pray that you would take our church, that you would take our homes, that you would take our kids, our families, our parents, our studies, and that you would do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine as we simply release our grip and cling to you instead. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen.